is holy ground. And we know that there are angels all around. Let us praise Jesus now. We're standing in his presence on holy ground. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. I'm so glad that you're here today and I have the opportunity to preach to you. Because I believe I have something that the Lord has put in my heart to share with you. I'm going to read something that Elijah said in the first book of Kings, chapter 18. And then I will try to follow the Lord's leading this morning and bring to you a message about falling fire. We're in a time of a great move of God in this place. I know that everybody doesn't see it as much as some others do. It will always be that way. It will always be that way. I'm going to read to you an event right now that happened in the scriptures that you would think would cause everyone to turn to the Lord and receive the great blessings and favor of God as a result of being in his presence and recognizing his power. But that didn't happen. It happened with the majority, but not with, well, not with everyone. And it never does happen that everyone who is, who is present knows what God's doing. I preached just recently up on the, about the woman who pressed through the crowd around Jesus to touch the hem of his garment, and she was healed. And nobody knew it. Nobody experienced it except her, and nobody knew it until it was told, and everybody knew it. And there were still some who did not become believers because shortly after that, Jesus was involved in a time of ministry, and there were people who laughed about him when he said, God, my father is going to do a mighty work. He said, God's going to raise his child from the dead, and they laughed about it. But we are believers. We are believers. We are here because we believe. We're here because we expect. We're here because we know God's word is true and God knows what he's promised and God always keeps those promises. And so we're in the midst of a great move of the spirit of God in our lives and we are not going to deny one degree of it. We're going to accept everything that the Lord has planned and has intended and is now doing in our midst. Praise God. Elijah called all the people of Israel together because he wanted to put a test before them. I will tell you in detail what happened here, but, but uh, I will get to that after I tell you some other things that I want to share with you. I'll come to this point later on in this message where I'll describe what was happening when Elijah said this prayer. At the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, this is his prayer, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, 
you are God, and may others know that you are. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering. Father, I ask you in Jesus' name to minister to us in the great power of the Holy Spirit today. Let there be freedom. Let there be liberty. Let there be a presence of the Lord known and experienced by every person here so that we can receive abundance from you. This is a time of the moving of your Holy Spirit. And we will not miss it and we will not deny it. We will extend on it and accept it and believe it as we experience it and declare that you are God, not only in Israel, but you're God in Fleming Island and you're God in Clay County and you're God in Florida. You're God here and all over. And we're going to stand on that and declare that we are your servants and expect the fire to fall because we pray and believe in Jesus' name. And that's what we say right now. We are praying in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Sometimes I, I get the feeling that I uh, am trying to catch up with everything. Sometimes I come up here and I feel, I feel that way right now because I got made sure I had all the notes. I don't have very many notes today, about a half a page. Sometimes I have three pages. I only got about a half a page today. I probably can remember most of it, but it's going to help me a great deal with a, just a more of an assurance if I walk over to that chair and pick up that folder with the notes in it and bring it back over here. So pardon me just a moment while I <laughs> only had to walk halfway. Thank you very much. I left it in the prayer room this morning and asked, asked Billy to go back and get it for me. That's why I knew exactly what I was looking for. Uh, I'm not absent-minded. I, I, I declare that I am not. But I do admit that sometimes there are so many things on my mind I don't remember what the first thing is. God's fire is an indication of his presence. It's an indication of his power. It's an indication of his production. Moses stood at the burning bush. And the bush was not consumed as it was inflamed in the fire of God. It was a sign to Moses that God was present. And in that sign, God was able to get Moses' attention and speak to him. What I just read to you now about Elijah on Mount Carmel calling down the fire as a testimony to Israel that the Lord is God of Israel is an evidence of God's power. Acts chapter 10 verse 38 says, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. And he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. So that was God's production in the power of the Holy Spirit working in the life and ministry of Jesus. And there are many examples in the scripture of, uh, uh, of, of fire. I, I decided as I looked at all the things that the Bible said about fire, I decided that this is really a book of fire. There's so much about fire, I would take a series of messages for me to talk about it rather than just one. So I'm just going to tell you some highlights today that I believe are significant 
and important and that we would not want to miss because we do not want to miss the move of God and the falling of God's fire in the midst of his people. It is not unusual that God moves by fire. There are other evidences of God's presence and symbolically declare that God is at work in the midst of his people in the scriptures. But none seems to surpass with excitement and a, and a thrill that seems to be new every time. Nothing seems to surpass the pouring forth of fire as an evidence that God is here, God is present, and God is moving. So the burning bush, Yahweh descended from Mount Sinai after there was an eruption at the top of Sinai. And it says that the presence and the glory of God came forth in the fire from the top of Mount Sinai. There was thunder, there was lightning, there was a, a, a declaration of God's demonstration on Mount Sinai before the law was given, directing people's attention to what God was going to do. And God called Moses up in the midst of that. But his glory came forth from the top of Sinai in that fire. Paul wrote to the Thessalonians and said that Jesus is coming back, and he's coming back in flaming fire. You'll have to listen to the teachings about the second coming to get all of that. But I'm just pointing out to you highlights of the importance of what God says as he demonstrates his presence, his power, his production in the glory of the fire that he rains upon his people. His word declares that God moves in the fire. I could talk to you today about other types of fire. When the three boys who were captured as young men were taken to Babylon and were thrown later on into the fiery furnace. And there they found the presence of the Son of God in there already. God's presence and power is always with us in the midst of whatever fire we're in. Because God is the Lord, not only of the floods and the winds and the thunder and the rain, but God is the Lord of the fire. And He's able to do great things, purging, cleansing, testifying, that this is the power of God and he wants us to believe that and receive what he has for us in the midst of that. Moses and Aaron witnessed a striking manifestation of fire. It says that it, it came out from the presence of the Lord. The fire came out from the presence of the Lord. When they put sacrifices on the altar to inaugurate the priesthood led by Aaron to declare that the priesthood was acceptable with God for that time. God sent forth a mighty fire to consume the offerings and in that there was a striking manifestation because they were aware that the presence of the Lord came out from that fire that consumed the sacrifice. Again and again and again, God speaks his power. God speaks his presence. God speaks his production. In the flames of fire, and the scripture is full of that over and over and over. So now, one of the great examples, one of, just one of the great examples of this, is the time in the history of Israel when Ahab was the king of the nation. The scripture says that Ahab was the worst king morally, ethically, in dishonesty, 
and in, 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 in debauchery and degradation. He was the worst king up to that time that Israel had ever had. Kings before him had walked in idolatry. He surpassed them in all of the things that they had done and was the worst king that Israel had ever had according to the statement of the scripture. And then in the midst of this terrible time in Israel when their king directed them into the worship of Baal and the following of a false god and built temples and sacrificed to these false gods, ignoring the Lord God Jehovah and declaring that Baal is the God of Israel. In the midst of all this time, suddenly, without introduction, almost without expectation, there stood before the king a man named Elijah, all that's known of him is he was from Tishbe. He was called Elijah the Tishbite. Nobody knew him then, but they would quickly know him and know him well. He said to the king, Because of the judgment of God falling upon this place, there will be no rain in this land until I speak the word. There will be no rain to fall in Israel until I say so. And then he disappeared. God told him to go over and gave him a place to hide because he knew that Ahab was going to be trying to find him and force him to bring the rain back because just as he said it stopped raining. There was no dew in the morning. There was no drizzle in the afternoon. There was nothing. It was bone dry throughout all Israel, day after day, week after week, month after month. And the crops started to die in the fields. There was famine in the country. And it was a time of great disaster. Ahab was looking for Elijah everywhere. He even went to other countries, thinking that he had fled across the border and was hiding in other countries, and even threatened to wage war against other countries because he thought some of them were hiding Elijah. He couldn't find him. And the reason he couldn't find him was because God had told Elijah where to go. He said, go down and make you a little camp down by the brook Kirith. I'll send you food every morning and food every night. You can drink from the water of the brook, and you stay there until I tell you to leave. Elijah went there, and it wasn't such a secret place. It was just a little place down by the brook. Kirith was a well-known brook. It wasn't that it was so obscure. It wasn't that it was so unknown. But Ahab couldn't find him with all the armies that he had out looking for him, with all the helpers he had out looking for him, scouring and searching the land. He couldn't find him because God had told him where to hide. Do you know when you do what God tells you to do, there's nothing that can stop you. Nobody, if they're not supposed to find you, they can't find you. I'm not pro- trying to give you a suggestion how you can get away and, and, and slip away. And I, I'm not making anything like that. I'm just simply saying, though, that if you do what God tells you to do, you will be protected until God says it's time for you to move out. God will take care of you just like he did Elijah. So Elijah stayed there, and for three years and six months, It did not rain in Israel. And all this time Ahab's trying to find him. So now, Elijah has spoken the word of God. This is a preparation for a great, great demonstration of God's power. So three and a half years with no rain. In an arid land, the crops failing, trying to find a way to spare the lives of the animals in desperation. They did everything that they could. And at the end of three and a half years, God spoke to Elijah by the brook Kirith. And he said, I'm not sending you the food and the bread in the morning and the evening anymore. 
and I'm going to let the brook dry up because I want you to leave. He told him where to go, who to speak to, who to talk to, what to say. He even let him meet one of the king's primary servants and had that servant go tell the king, I'm ready to meet with you, king. Finally, the servant agreed to do it, and Elijah stood in front of King Ahab. Now, he's been looking for him all this time. All he wants Elijah to do is to say, it's going to rain. That's all he wants. He wants to get rid of this thing that is disturbing the whole kingdom. And has everybody upset, everybody agitated, and everybody turning against the authority of the king. He wants to change. Elijah, are you the troubler of Israel finally come back? And Elijah said, I'm not the one troubling Israel, you are. It may look like I'm causing trouble, but what I'm doing is following God. Sometimes when God gives you a lesson and leads you to follow me, it may look like to some other people who are out of God's will and away from God, lost in their own plans and their own purposes, that you are the one causing the problem. The truth of the matter is, sin is what causes the problem. Being away from God, disobeying God, that's what causes the problem. Ahab was the problem, the leader of the problem, but Elijah said, I've come to bring the answer. And he said, this is what I want you to do. I want you to bring all the people together, and I'll declare the answer. So the king sent out the word, and they got them all together. They finally came, and they had a time that they met on Mount Carmel. Elijah said, bring all of the 450 prophets of Baal that you and your wicked wife Jezebel have made the anointed ones to lead the kingdom. And there are 400 others who are less than the 450 prophets of Baal, but there are 400 more. I want you to bring them too because I want every follower of the devil and every supporter of the devil gathered in one place. I'm getting ready to get rid of all of them at one time. He didn't tell them that, but that was his plan. So they all came together on Mount Carmel. And people from Israel, I don't think everybody in the whole nation came, but there must have been hundreds of them from the description in First Kings. They gathered on Mount Carmel. And so now here's Elijah. He said, I am the only prophet of God left. I think he was wrong about that, and later on God showed him he was wrong. But he thought he was, and it was all right. He said, I'm the only one here on Mount Carmel representing God, the Lord of Israel today. I'm the only one. And he was true about that. There weren't any of the other ones who had come there and taken a stand with him. He was standing alone. But he said, what we're going to do is we're going to say that the God who answers by fire is the God of Israel. And if Baal answers by fire, let him be God. And if the Lord answers by fire, then he is God. Stop limping along between two opinions and make yourself known. So the people all said, yes, yes, we agree with that. That's a good plan. We agree with that. Everybody agreed. Even Ahab agreed because he wanted it to rain. So now they're there. And Elijah gives the prophets of Baal, 450 of them, and 400 helpers with them. He gives them the opportunity to go first and reminds the people, now if Baal doesn't answer by fire, it will show that he is not the Lord God of Israel. And they all agreed. And so now the 450 prophets of Baal put their bull, that each one of them had been given an animal, they put the bull on the altar, slew it, killed it, put it on the altar, and they started to call out to Baal to send the fire. And they cried out for Baal to send the fire. And the more they cried out, the more frustrated they became because nothing happened. 
I've always wondered, did they really think that Baal was going to answer by fire? Did they really believe that? Well, whether they did or did not, he didn't answer. He didn't say a word because he had nothing to say. God shuts the mouth of the enemy. God shuts down the plans of the devil. God brings to nothing the efforts of those who try to stand against him because God, when he declares his plan is in force and his plan is being in effect, when God does that, there's nothing that can stop the plan of God. It's going to happen God's way. And so, and so Elijah got a little bit, you know, in, in the old, uh, in the south in the old days, we used to talk about kids getting sassy. <laughs> so I read this and I thought, well, Elijah, he's getting a little bit sassy with these guys. He said to those prophets, keep on, keep on calling on him. He, maybe he's gone to sleep and you have to wake him up. He said, well, don't give up. He, he could have gone to the bathroom. Maybe he'll be right back. Now, I'm, this is in the scripture, what I'm telling you. He said, he said, well, maybe he's, maybe he's taking a food break. Maybe he's taking time to eat. When he gets through eating, he'll, he'll come back and answer you. Keep on. Don't give up. Don't give up. Keep on. And they kept on. And they cried and they screamed and they squalled and they cried out. They cut themselves. The blood ran. And, and they were trying to, do so, to get Baal to answer by fire. And finally, they were exhausted. And they gave up. And Elijah said to him, is it my turn now? Okay, well, you go ahead and see what you can do. So Elijah walked over. He had the... He had the bull prepared. He laid it on the altar. He reconstructed the altar of Israel for sacrifice. He laid the cuttings from the bull on the, on the sacrificial altar. And then he said, well, let's just make sure when we do this that nobody has a misunderstanding about it. Uh, get some shovels and dig a trench all the way around this, around this altar. And they did. So they dug a trench all the way around it. And then he said, well, now, I know water is scarce <clears throat> We had this famine all this time, but, but go find a, a barrel of water and, and, and just trust me in this. Get a barrel of water and pour it in this trench. So they did. They poured it on the, on the bullock on the altar, and then it, it shed off and went in the trench around it so it would hold the water and stay there. And he said, that's not quite enough water. Go get another barrel. And finally they got that one, then they got another one. And so they, they poured water until it filled up the trench they had dug. And so now... Elijah says, remember, this is the agreement that we have. The one who answers by fire is the God of Israel. And they all said, yes, 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 yes. Waiting to see what would happen. There was a spirit of expectancy. I don't know how strong it was because those who were followers of Baal must have been discouraged by that time. But there was a spirit of expectancy certainly on the part of Elijah if nobody else because he knew what God had told him to do. Do you know that when you're doing what God tells you to do, when you're going where God tells you to go, when you're saying what God tells you to say, when you're doing what God tells you to do, there's only one thing that you can expect as a result of that, and that's success. That's success. That's victory. When you're walking with God and following the leading of God and doing what he's told you to do. When you're where God put you. The reason some people can't get blessed is because they're not where God put them. 
You've wandered and you've struggled and you've, you've, you've dug around, you've called around, you've checked on the internet, you, you've checked that you found out, where, what does God want me to do? And you can't find out. You could find out if you just say, Lord, I'll do whatever it is you want me to do. And then stop struggling about it and do what God leads you to do and be where God tells you to be. You could, whether it's about your job, whether it's about your church, whether it's about your friendships and your relationships or whatever it's about. Do what God tells you to do. Understand the leading of God. Follow the leading of God. And there's only one thing that can happen as a result of that, and that's victory. That's victory. And some of you sitting here struggling with that very thing today, you're looking for victory. And I am telling you right now that if you will do what God has led you to do, and don't say you don't know what it is, because if you don't know for sure, you've got an idea. And if you want to develop that idea, get on your knees before God and say to God, I don't want my way. I'm not looking for what I want. I'm looking for what you want. I'm not asking you to do it my way. I'm asking you to help me know what your way is. I'm not asking you to go where I want to go. I'm asking you to help me know where you want me to go. I'm not asking you to be what I want you to be Lord I'm asking you to help me to be what you want me to be get yourself in the hands of God and you'll be able to pray just like Elijah did and he prayed that prayer that I read Lord we're going to prove who's the God of Israel today and I want to remind you Lord I am your servant that touched me a long time ago and I started praying God I thank you thank you Lord that I am your servant your obedient servant And that's what Elijah was saying. I am your obedient servant. So now, he prays this prayer. And at the conclusion of this prayer, there's there's a sound. And all of a sudden, people are looking. They're looking at that altar. And there is from heaven a striking bolt of fire that comes forth from the heaven through the clouds. Pierces all the way down. Grabs that sacrifice and consumes it in fire. In almost an instant, that sacrifice is burned up because God sends the fire. And God is the God who answers by fire. God is the God who answers by power. God is the God who answers by authority. God is the God who answers by anointing. God is the God who answers because he has the answers. And he is the answer. And when we cry out to God and believe God, he's going to send his power to come against every caravan of the devil. He's going to send his power to come against every action, attempt of the devil. He's going to send his power to overcome everything that the devil has done, is trying to do, or is planning to do in your life. Because God's power is greater than the power of the enemy. The prophets of Baal got nowhere. The prophets of Baal got nowhere. They didn't get anything as they cried out to their false God. But when Elijah stood there and cried out to the real God, to the true God, to the Lord God of Israel, that all the people had said, the one who answers by fire, he will be Lord in Israel. And God proved himself that day. He is Lord. He was Lord over Israel then. He's Lord over Israel now. He's Lord over every place else now because Jesus Christ is Lord. He's the one who answers by fire and power. He answers by fire and power. I know I just made a statement that some of you are questioning right now. I said he's Lord over everything. I remember when it became kind of popular to use just to say Jesus is Lord. It kind of of became a, uh, 
a little saying, you know, Jesus is Lord. Sometimes you say something, you say it so many times, and you don't even think about what it means. You just, just say it because we've learned to say it. And I remember hearing two preachers having a real discussion that I think developed into more than just a discussion. Their discussion was whether Jesus is Lord over Miami. One of them said he is, and the other one said he isn't. The one who said he is, he said he's Lord because the Bible says he's. The other one says, well, if he's Lord over Miami, he's not doing a very good job of it. Look at all the mess that's going on around here. And boy, it, it was a mess then. Probably still is. I haven't been there a long time to check it out. <laughs> but it was then. There are a lot of places that are in a real mess. Does that mean that Jesus is not Lord there? Just because of things that happen in Clay County, does that mean Jesus is not Lord in Clay County? Do you know something? I didn't plan to get this far, but sometimes I just, I always like for you to know when I know I'm going a little off because I don't want you to think I'm just rambling and don't know it. So, <laughs> so not long ago, I was looking for sermon material and I was thinking about. I'm thinking about a lot of different things, and I was thinking about the great, wonderful monuments that, that speak so great of our history and our heritage and our faith in this country that are in Washington, D.C. And, and, and other places of the country as well. And I thought, boy, if I make this statement, there'll be people that just will, I shouldn't even tell you that I should save it till I preach this sermon series, but I'm going to just share it with you now. Just don't, don't remember it later on. But <laughs> I thought, Wow. This is a great title for a sermon series. God lives in Washington, D.C. And I know people will say, what? I didn't think that's what you've been saying. I've never said he doesn't live there. He does live in Washington, D.C. Do you know that? He lives in Orange Park. Lives in Jacksonville. Lives in Brunswick. Lives in Palatka. In fact, I've never been anywhere that God didn't live. You know, I've traveled to many, many places in the world. I've been in Jerusalem. I've been in, uh, I've been in Luxembourg. Believe that's a country. And I've never been anywhere that God didn't live. Everywhere I've been, I found out God lives here. Because He's alive. He's alive. And he's alive everywhere. And he's alive all the time. And God is wherever you are. You will never go to find a place that God is not there. The psalmist said, where shall I flee from his presence? Where shall I go from his spirit? If I make my bed in hell or if I take the wings of the morning to fly away, even there, wherever I am, your right hand will hold me. And I will be in your mighty presence. And here they are. Here they are in the presence of God on Mount Carmel. And the fire comes down. And as the fire falls, people begin to cry out throughout the crowd of people who just became believers again. They began to cry out, the Lord is God. The Lord is God. The Lord is God. And they were right. He proved it one more time. And God in the fire will prove that he's the Lord of your life. 
your situation, your circumstances, your problems, your difficulty. He will prove that he is the Lord of all of that in your life if you will just let him do it and prove himself as he wants to do. God moves in the fire and he shows his presence and he shows his power and we must never diminish that. God is God everywhere that we are. Hallelujah. 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 I want to tell you one more thing that I believe is significant and important. Fire does not replace faith. Now, you gather I'm a great believer in the power of God. The fire is the demonstration of God's presence. The demonstration of God's power. It won't be a flame of fire, but when God touches somebody and heals them, as we've spoken about here today and as we've spoken about recently, as has happened so many times in this family of this congregation recently, miracles that God has done. We want to be careful that we don't get our eyes on the fire and forget about the one who builds the fire. We've got to keep our eyes on him. Fire never replaces faith. Fire is just to strengthen our faith, build our faith, encourage us in our faith. But no matter what, we've got to keep on believing. We've got to hold on to God and not let go. We've got to believe that God is going to move and keep moving because we are declaring it, believing it, praying for it by faith. And the falling of the fire will never take the place of faith. No matter what's happening in our midst, we're going to have to keep believing that God is the one who's doing it. I'll illustrate that with one final thing about Elijah. When he was taken away, he was caught up in a miraculous way. And Elisha, who became his successor as the prophet in the nation, said to him, I want a great power like you have. In fact, he asked him for a double portion of the anointing that he had. And Elijah said, if you will see me when I leave, you will receive that double portion. I won't go through all the things that transpired from that time on. But suffice it to say, Elisha determined he was going to be watching Elijah all the time because he wanted to watch him and see him as he went away. When God caught him away, Elisha didn't know how it would happen. But he wanted to see him when that happened because Elijah had said, if you, Elisha, will see me when I go, you'll receive a double portion of power. So you've got to be obedient now. You've got to do this if you want the power. So Elisha followed him everywhere. He had a little puppy dog. He was just trailing him everywhere he went. Stayed right with him. Kept his eyes on him. Elijah said, why don't you wait for me over here? Elisha said, no, I'm going with you. Well, I'll be a little bit distance over here. I'll get you when I come back. No, I'm going with you. Elisha stayed with him all all the time. Would not leave him. And then one day, suddenly, there was a great sound from heaven. And a fiery chariot swept down. And there was another ball of fire with it. And Elisha had to see that. He couldn't miss seeing it. But he didn't put his attention on it. He kept his eyes on Elijah. And Elijah was not caught up. People often say he was taken away in a fiery chariot. Not so. No, the fiery chariot came. The balls of fire came. But Elijah was taken up in a whirlwind that was contingent with the fiery chariot and the balls of fire. That was there to see 
if Elisha would get distracted by the visible and not keep his eyes on what God wanted him to do to receive the double portion of anointing. We cannot, as much as we believe in God's power, this is not any diminishing of God's power. Don't misunderstand. I don't think you can based on what I've said today. It's not a diminishing of God's power and what God can do and will do and wants to. No, that's there. The important thing, however, is if we want to keep that going, we don't start emphasizing the fire. We start emphasizing the builder of the fire, the giver of the fire. We've got to make sure that we keep our eyes on the one who produces the fire. Not the fire itself, but the one who produces it. So when we're praying, we've got to believe God for who he is, not for what he does. Praise God for what he does. All-powerful, omnipotent, universal God does great things beyond our ability in miraculous exhibition of his glory. He does that. But he wants us to keep our eyes on him and follow him. We don't want to follow the fire. We want to follow the God of the fire. That's signally important. We cannot miss that. And friend, when we do that, God has great things for us. I believe God has great things for us that are just getting started. We've told you again recently, over and over, things that have happened in this place, how God has healed, how God has touched people, God's anointed people. And I believe God wants to save people from lives of, 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 of bondage. He wants to set people free from that enslaving entanglement that the devil has put on their lives. God wants to set people free. He wants to deliver you from every binding habit that affects your relationship with God. I could start naming a lot of things right now. I'm going to resist the temptation to do that. But I'm going to tell you that you know, you know right now the things in your life that entangle you. You know the things in your life that have you in bondage. You're almost free, but not totally free because you haven't been able to quit that. You name it, because you know what it is in your life. You've not been able to say no to it. You've not been able to stop. But I want to tell you today, right now, that God is the God of victory, and he is the God of freedom to set you free from any bondage that keeps you from the fullness of the presence of God in your life. God, from that bondage, God wants to set you free. He wants you to be delivered from that. He wants you to be whole. So, I, so, so rather than even name one thing, you know that there are things out there, though, whether it's a long-standing habit you've not been able to break, but you know it does not glorify God, whether it's something that has uh, attached itself as an appetite to you and you can't seem to give it up because when you're right ready to leave it, the lust for it comes back. I'm not saying that I can tell you that I can do anything about that, but I'm telling you that I know a God of freedom and a God of victory and a God of liberty who can do that. I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about having a weak limbs. I'm not talking about having bad knees. God can heal you, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the things that you, by the power of God and surrendering to the Holy Spirit and letting the fire of God burn in your life, consume everything that's not like Jesus. He will set you free from that, from that bondage, from that addiction, from that habit, 
from that which you want, you say you want to be free from it, well, stand up and declare your victory in Jesus' name because he will set you free. He'll set you free. He'll set you free. He'll set you free. And the fire of God will burn out everything that is unlike Jesus Christ to give you the full purity and the victory that you want to have in him. Everybody stand up with me right now, please.